Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, Colin Taylor, breaking down everything in the world of South Carolina men's basketball. Uh, in this case, a very disappointing loss. Yeah. I feel like I've started the last three of these podcasts with an exasperated side, but on Saturday, South Carolina dropped a really, really awful game against Tennessee, 56-55, to up in Knoxville, a game that South Carolina was an underdog, a game that would have been really nice if South Carolina could have won it, so it seems weird to sit here talking about how bad a loss it was, but as we get into exactly how they lost, the manner in which they lost, and it being a continuation of a really disappointing trend for South Carolina this season, I think it's safe to say that this is one of the more disappointing losses of the season. Yeah, and I think that on the surface when you're like, oh, they lost a road game to Tennessee uh, by one point, a team that's going to be in the vying for a postseason spot, you're like, okay, well, on the surface that's not bad, but when you go back and look and say they had a chance to win late, they missed you know, seven, you know, 11 threes, they missed nine free throws, then you look back and say, this is a very winnable game that South Carolina could have gone into Tennessee and beaten a team that's been one of the best three teams in the SEC the last two or three years. And I think that's got to hurt this team. Um, you could kind of sense that it hurt a little bit from talking to Frank after the game and talking to some of the players that they kind of realized the chance they missed because now instead of maybe a two and three start, you're looking at a one and four, if not a one and, or zero oh and five uh, to begin SEC play when you start to extrapolate everything. There are a lot of reasons that Carolina lost this game. Let's start with this because this is the one that's least interesting to talk about. It's very cut and dry. It's been a problem all season long. And in Frank's estimation after the game, he thinks this is the fourth win that South Carolina has been cost because of poor free throw shooting. 13 of 22 including, was it 4 of 11 in the second half, 4 of 12, something like something that. Like that. Terrible. There's no answer. Yeah, and it's not like they're missing free throws in, you know, with 12 minutes to go in the first half. It's not like it's, those are points you can make up. But there were a few times where they got fouled with the chance to tie or take the lead and made one of two or missed both. I think there was a time where Keyshawn Bryant missed two in a row that would have tied the game. And then, obviously, A.J. Lawson misses his dunk and whatnot. But these are big moments late in games. And you're not – in the SEC, it's so wide open this year that you're going to be in close games late with good teams that can boost a resume. And if you can't hit free throws, then teams are going to know who to foul and who not to foul. And it's a problem. Uh, I don't know how to fix it other than guys have to go in and get shots. But – I will say it's a lot different in practice just going and hitting 100 free throws. You could feel great doing it, but when you're going full speed, you're gassed in the second half, and you just got laid out by a 6'9", 250-pound power forward, it's hard to pop up and go shoot two free throws. So I don't know what they do to fix it. Uh, at this point, it's just one of those things. I think what they are what they are in terms of free throw shooting. I don't know how much better it's going to get this year, but 
this is a problem, and I think you're going to start to see it rear its head a little bit more as you get deeper into SEC play, and you start playing these close games, whether that's... All of these teams are so close together that no team really... I mean, you have probably 10 games that are going to come down to the last four minutes. Uh, the, la- the first two SEC games did. So um, it's not ex- crazy to think that these next you know, 16 won't, so... Yeah, you're going to have to start hitting free throws, and I don't know if this team's really necessarily equipped to do that right now. No, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the season when this, I think, first started to be a problem for South Carolina. I guess it's always been a problem, but when we first realized that it might be a real issue, yeah. we, we both kind of are on the same page. That that's not something that really gets better over the course of the season. Uh, one of the other things that you mentioned that I think is maybe even more problematic about it for South Carolina is, I mean, they do have guys that are really, really bad free throw shooters, but it's the misses are coming from everywhere. You know, Mike Kotsar, 3 of 5. Keyshawn Bryant, 0 of 3. Uh, Lawson and Bolden actually did hit all of theirs. They're Carolina's most reliable free yep. throw shooters. But as we're going to talk about in a minute, it's <laughs> not always... They don't get to the line, yeah. Well, they don't get to the line, and it's not always a given that they're going to be in the game towards yeah. the end. Uh, Trey Hannibal, 3 of 4. And Jermaine Cousinard, who statistically was one of the better free throw shooters on the team coming into the game, goes just 1 of 4. So it's all guys missing everywhere. If you're the other team, it's like, you know, take your pick. Foul whoever the heck you yeah. want if you want to put Carolina at the line. At this point, yeah. yeah, which is really unfortunate but i mean that's that really is it's it's kind of funny too because you go back to the florida game and carolina shot free throws very well unfortunately for carolina that was not a game that came down to their free yeah. throw shooting now you can say the the only reason they were in the game as long as they were is because they made enough of their free throws on the front end you know 14 of their first 15 or 13 of their first 14 whatever that number was but you know the one good free throw shooting performance they get ends up not really mattering you switch that with tennessee they still lose the florida game they probably win this tennessee game yeah and you need you need anything to go right for you at this point offensively. Uh, it's been a pretty big rut these last three games. Uh, you haven't scored over 70 points after scoring 70 against Virginia. And you just haven't shot the ball well, and that's that's a problem. And when you're not shooting the ball well, you need other things to work in your favor. You need offensive rebound, which they did better against Tennessee. You need to hit your free throws. You need to kind of create those open court opportunities, and they're not doing enough of that and converting enough of that to – give themselves a, a great chance to win late. And they did against Tennessee to a degree, but you didn't against Stetson and you didn't against Florida. Uh, and you saw how those games turned out. So there's a lot of questions to be answered, uh, a lot of answers to be found. And right now I'm not sure how close this team is. Frank seems to, he's adamant that they're close, said so in his press conference yesterday. But until they kind of figure some things out, I don't know how close they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I, I think you have to agree with him that they are close. I mean, yeah. You can see the flashes of it. Two free throws, one more made bucket, one single made bucket from AJ Lawson and Jerry Bolden, and, and you can't just do the math like that and say, oh, well, you know, that accounts for the two points or whatever, because then you know that that comes somewhere and the rest of the game changes. But I, I think the reason this hurts so much for South Carolina, like you mentioned, they're not a good shooting team right now. They're a bad half court offense. They didn't shoot well. Thirty-two point eight percent from the floor, 20 of 61, just 15%, 2 of 13 from 3. Obviously, we talked about their woes at the free throw line. But look at the other side. Look what they did defensively. Now, this is not a great Tennessee team, so it's not like their defensive performance. It's not like Carolina's defensive performance is some incredible defensive feat, but they hold Tennessee to just under 26% from the field, 14 of 54, 19% from 3, 6 of 31. Carolina was content to let Tennessee bomb away, and that was, you know, fortunately the right call this time because this time, they weren't hitting them. Now, Tennessee did make their free throws, 22 of their 28, but Carolina had a bad shooting performance, and Tennessee's was significantly worse, and Carolina still loses this game. Yeah, and I think that you look at it and say this is probably your 
best outside of Clemson, your best defensive performance of the year. Um, you forced a lot of turnovers. You did all the you you rebounded the ball well. You did all the things that you needed to do to beat Tennessee, except foul. They fouled a little bit too much. Uh, Frank even said that. But that's what I think is so frustrating is because you can't get the offense looked better against Florida, but the defense didn't. And then against Tennessee, the defense looked really good and the offense didn't. So you're not getting the same level of play on both sides of the court night in and night out. And I think that's the frustrating part for this team. And it flies directly in the face of what we thought was the problem earlier this season and what Frank has said. And, and I mean, it does seem to be the case, but it's weird because he will complain that South Carolina plays poor offensively when they play poor defensively. Like, you know, bad defense leads to bad offense and vice versa. And yet we keep getting these outlier performances. Again, a good offensive performance against Florida, but they're not able to get any stops. And then the opposite against Tennessee. So I don't know if this is like a more specific matchup problem in these last two games for Carolina, but you would think that the good defensive performance against Tennessee, especially as you mentioned, forcing a lot of turnovers, including 12 steals. Yeah. If there's one thing, the, t- the Clemson game was a really good defensive performance. They forced a lot of turnovers, but a lot of those turnovers were dead ball. When South Carolina forces live ball turnovers, they're they're deadly. And they have 12 steals. That's a lot of live ball opportunities, a lot of transition opportunities that they were creating. And, you know, they were able to generate offense from it. They won the – I don't remember the margin off the top of my head. I think you have it. They have uh, – they, they won the transition point margin or the fast break point yeah, margin. Seven to three. Yeah, okay, so not significant anyway. Yeah. But, you know, you're creating those opportunities. That should lead to more offense, and it just wasn't there on Saturday. Yeah, and – you can create all the loose balls you want to, and you can create all these transition opportunities. But when you're 10 of 27 for on layups in that game, uh, you're just not converting, and that's the problem. I think AJ Lawson missed a wide open dunk. He came flying in transition, and it would have tied the game late. Yeah, and, just back iron. Yeah, back ironed it, and you know they were two for three on dunks. So combined, they were 12 of 30 on layups or dunks, and 12 of 30. Yeah, and and I'm I don't know off the top of my head. I'm thinking like I just think in terms of NBA because those are that's I honestly watch a lot more NBA than college basketball, so I don't know how the college stats compare to this. But I think around average for a team on those kinds of shots is about seventy percent. Yeah, and you think I mean if even if you shoot sixty percent, if you're South Carolina, you win this game. If you make three more and shoot fifty percent, you feel good about your chances to win that game. So. They're creating the opportunities they need to win, which is those loose ball fouls, which is or loose ball turnovers, with open court opportunities to get you know AJ Lawson, Keyshawn Bryant running in transition, and they're just not converting. And whether that's a mental thing, whether it's a physical thing, is kind of what they're trying to figure out right now. If my math is correct, which is you know usually questionable, but I think 11 of 39, South Carolina starting five shooting from the floor. That sounds about right. I mean, you went seven, of. Yeah, 7 of 11 from Kozar, 4 of 12 from Bryant, which means 0 for 4 Manaya, 0 for 7 Lawson, 0 for 5 Bolden. I, I think, theoretically, this is South Carolina's best starting lineup. But for three games in a row now, this has not been South Carolina's best lineup. No. Jair Bolden played fewer minutes than TJ Moss off the bench. Then Jermaine Cousinard off the bench played exactly as many minutes as Trey Hannibal. So, you know, who exactly is starting, I think, doesn't matter as much as who finishes the game and who plays the most minutes, but do we see a shakeup before Wednesday for Kentucky in terms of the starting lineup? I don't know for certain you see a starting change, but the way Frank Martin talked in his Monday press conference, it sounds like Jermaine Kusnard's going to get a lot of point guard minutes. Uh, As he should. Yeah, no, rightfully so. I was really impressed with 
them putting the ball in his hands against Tennessee and him playing pretty well. Uh, needs to be a little bit more efficient. Was just six of seventeen from the field, but got downhill, got to the line, uh, was pretty fearless, and gives this team some personality. So I really liked that. They trotted another lineup out that I really really liked. It was Trey Hannibal at the one, Kusnard at the two, Lawson at the wing, and then Manaya at the four. Coats are at the five, and I think that gives you a lot. Now you can obviously switch Manaya for. Brian, if you want to, uh, depending on what you want out there, but I think that gives you a lot too, and I think that you're starting to see guys fall into roles, and right now, Kusnard could could be that combo guard you need. Uh, Trey Hannibal's played well. Um, Whether he plays or not is still kind of up in the air at times, but I think A.J. Lawson plays better when he doesn't have to be the sole primary playmaker and run an offense. He's better when the offense is not run through him, but he gets his shots. Yep. Whereas a guy like a Hannibal or a Kusnard is better when he's creating for others, and then that translates to more offense for him. Yeah, and I, I've been expecting that to be the case, and I, I think the reality, I just have to accept that 15 games into the season, I thought that A.J. Lawson was, I thought he was going to be the two or the three, and I thought they were going to run the offense through him, and I thought that was going to be good, but it's clearly not. He's, he's not aggressive enough. He doesn't attack enough. Um, and when he does, and I, I don't know if this is just him or if this is, you know, just a bad start to his season, but he's just not good enough around the rim. He's not a dynamic enough finisher. Um, you know, we see it in spurts, but it's not there consistently enough for him to be someone that you, you know, want want the ball to be in his hands all the time. The three guys that I feel the best about at any given time on this team are Mike Kozar, obviously. Carolina's MVP this season. Could you imagine saying that three months ago? No. Well, <laughs> no. I mean, I, if I had said that three months ago, I would have thought this team would be like 13-2, and two, you know? Yeah. When you're expecting thirteen, you know, ten and six, whatever he's averaging, right. it's amazing. It's it's and it's good for Mike. It's house money. Yeah. It's it's great for Carolina, except it's not, which is the the, right. the confusing part. Um, Hannibal, obviously, I love and just the energy. I think off the bench, he and Kusnar, those he, Hannibal, Kusnar, Kotsar are the three guys that I feel best about at any given time. Um, obviously, Hannibal and Kusnar coming off the bench, and for Kusnar, you know, it was a question whether or not he was even going to be able to play, how much he was going to be able to play. He did play. 24 minutes, obviously dealing with those back spasms. He missed the Florida game, and you wonder how much of a difference that would have made because yeah. you said you know not very efficient, just 6 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3. His first two shots were made three-pointers. He was, the, he was the only player to make a three yesterday. What was that, Saturday? Yeah. Only player. Just disgusting. The, the other team, everybody else went 2 of 11, or 0 of 11. And he hit, hit, he hit both threes within, what, probably the first five minutes yeah, of the game? Yeah, bang, bang. He came in, hit two threes, bang, bang, got and him within. nothing else. Yeah, got him the within rest of the two. Game. And then but his, his mentality, his attack yeah. mentality, he continued to get to the rim. Um, let's see, what did he shoot from the line? I don't have it right in front of me because the I have it on my iPad and the stat box is condensed. I think it was, what, 1 for so, 4? Yeah, that's right, 1 for yeah, 4. Yeah, 1 for 4 from the line, but he hauled in two rebounds. Had two assists, three steals. I mean, he's just productive for you. He was he was active, and again, it's, it's sort of that aggression and that attack mentality that we've talked about South Carolina's lacking because they don't have leadership, which is why I thought it was so important for Hannibal to be getting in the game because he brought that, and he still brings it defensively. And I thought he had you know another really solid game. He had five points. He had three rebounds. I think he had a couple turnovers. Um, didn't shoot. I mean, he shot one of three, so it's you know fine, 13 minutes or whatever. But his defensive play just continues to be so, so impressive. There was one play where – he got put in pick and roll. South Carolina switched it, and then they kind of like tagged out. And Hannibal, you know, came back out to whoever the ball handler was. The guy starts driving. He drives into him. He does a great job of not fouling. And then, as he's sort of falling out of bounds, is able to swat down and hit the ball. Not only out of I don't even remember who it was. It might have been 
Viscovi out of Viscovi's hands. And not only that, but knocks it off of his leg and it's a turnover Florida. And it's like, there's, I think that's the only guy on this team that can make that play. Maybe Mike Coates are. And he's so productive and he is just, I mean, we've said it probably 800 times on this podcast, but he's so productive. He's such a spark plug. It's hard to keep him out of the lineup, whether that's off the bench or what, but he's so good. Now, granted, we're not in practice every day, and I, I keep saying that, but we're not in practice. We don't really know what he's like on a day-in and day-out basis. We just see when the lights come on. But the dude's a gamer. When the, I mean, when he's out there, he just produces, and he turns the ball over a little bit too much, but his help defense is pretty good. He's so physical at the point of attack. He gives he and Jermaine Kustard are probably your two most physical guards right now, and that's what Frank is looking for. So as the season goes on, and Frank talked a lot about personality yesterday in his press conference, that as the, as the season goes on, I think as they give him more of that, the more minutes they're going to see in games. You pointed this out in your write-up on GamecockCentral.com. If someone had walked into this room here in the 107.5 The Game podcast studio last week and told both of us that South Carolina against Tennessee was going to shoot better from the field, have more rebounds, have more steals, force 19 total turnovers. Um, there were a couple other stats that you pointed out that South Carolina won that margin. I think one of them, as you mentioned, was fast break points. Um, second chance points, did they win that? Or maybe Tennessee won that? There were like four or five significant categories that South Carolina had the edge over Tennessee and still lost this game. Tennessee had 11 second chance points. South Carolina had eight. So it's okay. pretty marginal. Okay, yeah. But so, they, so that was marginal. They won fast break points. They won rebounds. They won field goal percentage. Uh, they won steals. Again, those open court opportunities when South Carolina can force them are crucial for a team that continues to be just mystifyingly bad in the half court. Yeah. Um, they won all the margins. They, they led more time too. They yeah, led and, for and they more led seconds. for more of the game. They won basically everything in the box score that you would want to see them lead. That, like if you just look at the box score, you would probably think that South Carolina won despite the poor three point shooting and despite the free throw shooting. Yeah. Um, but it just comes down to timeliness of some of those baskets, of some of those misses, um, and, and I guess timeliness of made shots for Tennessee. And you should give them credit for that because that's another team that's. I mean, they've struggled offensively. Their offensive numbers, I think, for the season are generally pretty similar to yeah, South pretty Carolina's. Average. Yeah. Um, not great, and they were able to come up with the shots, and that's you know sort of the benefit of playing at home, and also the benefit of Tennessee just having South Carolina's number. What is it? They've, they've won the last seven? Five straight. Or five straight? That, yeah. Yeah. So they just have South Carolina's number. But this one, Stetson's awful. You know, Boston's awful. Those are terrible losses. But this is like a different category of bad loss because... You were in, you were in it. You were right on the cusp, and it's a game that... I don't want to say you weren't expected to win, but like you weren't a favorite. You know, you, Kim Pop said you are going to lose by nine or whatever. Like All the predictions said that this is a game that Carolina should lose, and then they should have won it yeah. while they're actually in the game. And I, I think that, I don't want to say it hurts more, but it hurts differently and may ultimately have a greater impact on the rest of South Carolina season than the Stetson or Boston games. Yeah, and I think you, because you can you made up some of that ground with the Virginia win and the Clemson win. So, with the Stetson and the Boston. Stetson was a terrible loss, don't get me wrong, but you had two good non-conference wins. Again, at three, I mean, when you look at UMass, on, a, on the side note, they're a quad two win right now. So, losing this Tennessee game, knowing what you have coming up in a top 10 Kentucky team, a Texas A&M team that's shown flashes being pretty good, and Buzz Williams is a good coach, and then number six, Auburn. You could be one in four, whereas if you win this game, you're two and three, you know, at worst, probably. Then your schedule lightens up and things break right. Then you're 
ten and eight, eleven and seven, and you're right on the cusp of making the NIT. You're right on the cusp of you know winning. If you win one or two games in the NCAA or SEC tournament, you're probably on the bubble to go to the NCAA tournament. So this is a big because now you have a chance to go zero and five in SEC play, and you really needed something to go right. We talked about it these first two or three games just to feel good about your shot the last you know fifteen. And you didn't get you you got some of that against Tennessee, but a win would have done so much, and it would have helped obviously in the win column because of it. And I said this at the time: Kentucky's not going to miss the tournament because they lost to Evansville. You know, yeah. South Carolina is not going to miss postseason play because they lost to Stetson. It's going to be because they lose to Tennessee and because they lose to Texas A and M. You know, because Kentucky's still going to go fourteen and four, or fifteen and three, or whatever yeah. in the SEC. It's just a numbers game at this point, and when you are that close, and there are so many things that could have made a difference in this game. Again, that's the Florida loss. It's like, yeah, Carolina could have won that game if they played better and if Florida played a little bit worse. And maybe if Cousinard plays and maybe if A.J. Lawson shoots a little more efficiently. Like, there's a lot of things, and it's a winnable game, and it's nice that you can sort of glimpse the upside that Carolina can hang with a team like Florida and could be in a position to win that game if they just play a little bit better, hit a few more shots. But ultimately, that's not a game that necessarily hung in the balance. You know, Florida, when it was winning time, Florida pulled away. They won that thing by 13. This, well, let, let's just talk about it now. I'm glad that we didn't leave with this because I don't think it's the most important takeaway from this game, but you pull down a defensive rebound with about nine or 10 seconds to go and you have the last shot and you're going to have a chance to win it. Maybe at the free throw line, maybe with the two, maybe with the three, you have all your options in front of you and one timeout. And Frank Martin said he told the team in, I don't know, like a timeout at some Yeah, point, when they were reviewing the off the ball thing. Right, okay, uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. that timeout there. So they were on the sideline, and Frank Martin said, you know, basically, if we get a defensive rebound on this, I'm not going to call a timeout, which makes sense. You know, yeah. you and I spend a lot of time talking about how bad South Carolina is in the half court. They're better in transition. It allows their athletes to just go, go, go. Um, the other part of this argument, obviously, A.J. Lawson was the guy that took the last shot. Well, I guess he he, he charged. Yeah, <laughs> did <laughs> he not did, take he, the last he shot. He didn't get he the, the ball shot. in his hands. He had the ball in his hands last for South Carolina, and I, I think – Maybe I was even a more vocal critic than you are, but I think we both agreed in the Stetson game when Frank Martin benched A.J. Lawson for large stretches, you would have liked to just have your theoretical best guy in there. So I'm not even going to complain about the fact that it was A.J. that was supposed to take that last shot or had the ball in his hands last. He was 0 for 7 at that point. You know, you can split hairs. Oh, I would have wanted Kuznar to take it. I would have wanted That was my big thing. Or or I just wanted Kuznar on the court. Yeah. He wasn't on the court at that point. Right. And then, you know, a timeout gives you an opportunity to, to get that personnel out there, whoever else you want out there. I don't specifically have a problem with, with Lawson taking that shot. No. And I don't even really have a problem with Frank not taking the timeout um, because, like he said, he, he's going to let him go. And we, we have said before, and I still believe that Carolina has a better chance in transition. But when you realize you're not going to get a good look, you know, there's like four or five seconds and it looks like AJ's just like, you know. He went in there 100 miles an hour. 100 miles. I, I mean, again, I don't want to do too much revisionist history because he prepared the team for what was going to happen. What happened, happened. And if Lawson, you know, makes that little floater and they don't call a charge, because, you know, referees will swallow the whistle sometimes in those late-game opportunities, then we're sitting here talking about a good win for South Carolina, one-and-one in the SEC, you know, keeping things afloat and only needing to win basically one of their next three games. But should we criticize Frank Moore for not using that timeout? I don't think so. Um, Like, I mean, just take it on the surface of you had six seconds left, the ball in theoretically your best player's hands him driving down the lane with a chance to win the game on the road against an SEC team that won the league two years ago with a lot of those pieces returning. 
you take your chances there. Um, it didn't pay off. Obviously, uh, would I have liked to have seen better execution from AJ Lawson? Sure. Don't go in there at you know, going guns blazing, trying to you know out of control, and then you have no chance to. He tried to pull up late, and then that didn't work. And um, execution could have been better, but Mike was coming on a ball screen. I mean, Frank diagrammed it perfectly. I think you know if you get stopped, Mike's going to come on a ball screen. It'll free you up, and you know, kick or whatever you need to do. Uh, I had no problem with the last play. Uh, it was the missed dunks. It was the missed layups. It was the missed free throws. Those two or three minutes beforehand, where things kind of got away from you. You didn't. You couldn't. You would have been in a different situation if you had made those. If you had converted your chances before that last 10 second stretch um but no I don't have any problem with it I think that you want on the court at that time was AJ Lawson Justin Minaya Mike Coates are Keyshawn Bryant Jair Bolden of those five guys who do you want taking that shot it's probably going to be either AJ Lawson or Mike Coates are yeah and and probably Lawson I mean Coates are was a seven a seven of eleven but you just have to do more to manufacture a look for him where Lawson you know he hadn't played well he hasn't been playing well for most of the season he's still more I think a better option to create a shot. Yeah, no, and he's he's probably your best option on the floor right then and there to create a shot, whether that's get to the free throw line, which he did four times. Uh, he's really good at drawing fouls, which I think he tried to do. If I'm, because he kind of lowered the shoulder and then pulled up, thinking he was going to get a foul, and then Fulkerson just, I guess, got there in time. Who had an awesome game for Tennessee? By he the way, he was great. He was really, yeah, really good. he was really great. Um, yeah, fifteen points, five to seven. I mean, he had double double. It was he. That's beside the point. But you go in and say, if A.J. Lawson has the final shot to win the game on the road against a Tennessee team that's had our number. You take that. You take that. And you can debate timeouts all you want to, but you're then you're going to have to inbound the ball, which they already turned the ball over once on an inbounds play that day. Um, they're going to be playing their man-to-man, so they're going to be already on you. So you're going to have to create a screen or some way to create a shot in – five seconds and or four seconds whatever it's going to be when you call the timeout so I don't know if that really does you any good service to a team that's already young and already proven they can't execute as well as in the half court as they do in transition the only thing that I would push back because I again generally I agree with you at the time it's like how do you leave that timeout but then you find out that he told the team he was going to do that I think that's a really important element of this by the way yeah. that, that oh they, I was confused too walking yeah. to the meeting room I'm like he had a timeout like why right. not just call that and the more I thought about it the more I was like I understand why yeah. you didn't call a timeout. Well, that, and it's all about expectations. If your team yeah. knows you have a timeout and they think that you're going to call it and then you don't, you know, that's problematic. But since he basically gave them forewarning, hey, I'm not going to use this timeout, you know, unless something weird happens, you know, unless maybe you get trapped or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you're just going to go. And so I, I think that's good. And I think that's, I don't want to like uh, think about this too much, play too much armchair psychologist, but you know, that's probably like a little bit empowering. It's like, okay, get the ball and go, you know, yeah. don't think about it. Don't worry about just be a basketball player. To go. Yeah. Just go do what I've done for my entire life. The only thing that I would say just to play devil's advocate, South Carolina has not been good in the half court, but if you're Frank Martin, you've been a basketball coach for a long time. Mm-hmm. You've drawn up a lot of plays. You know, you, I think maybe you need to be confident in your ability to say, call timeout. We've been bad in the half court. You know, it's hard to it's hard to spring somebody. We're not a great ball screen team. We're not great at breaking guys down off the dribble. But here we go. I ran this play, yeah. you know, ten years ago at Kansas State, and it was sick. And I haven't run it since. Like, let's do this. Let's get a look again. You want to run it for AJ? That gives you an opportunity to put Kusnard in there. You know, as good as Kotsar has been, if you know he's not going to be taking the last shot for you, you know, put Levesque in there. Put McCreary in there, who's been 
who I, I thought played well again. I, he, I think he's so had too. two consecutive good games now for uh, against Florida and against Tennessee for energy, a big body to you know maybe give you a different option to screen, and then if you take the shot with like four seconds left, give yourself an opportunity for an offensive rebound. Yeah. So you know you put in you put in Lawson, you put in you know Kusnar, you put in either Bolden or Hannibal. Uh, you know, maybe Bryant or maybe Manaya and then, you know, just one of those big screen guys or, you know, an offensive rebounding option. There are a lot of ways that this could have played out. I just, now that I'm thinking about it, I just want to see what, like... <laughs> Revisionist history kind well, of style. Yeah, but, but like, you're down one on the road, about to go 0-2 in the SEC. What's the best play you can draw, Frank? Yeah. You know, I, just kind of like that. Right. Just, I mean, I, 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 get, I get that, like, I get it, but I also, the only qualm I have and it's not really a qualm it's just what I would have done now, granted I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to coach a basketball team maybe after people hear this podcast yeah you know oh yeah big X I would have at the time when they were reviewing I don't know if you can sub at that point mm. but yeah see I don't even know the rules of basketball and I'm talking but if you could get find a way to get Jermaine in the game and because he's been so good for you um, he had shown a knack of getting to the rim and finishing against Tennessee and then take out maybe Bolden, who did not have a good game. Uh, just might not be that good. Yeah, like, it's just one of those things where, like, he's shown flashes here and there, but it's all mental for him right now, I think. And that's tough. So I would have taken Bolden out and probably put Jermaine in. Now, granted, that's revisionist history at this point, but, you know... At the end of the day, you still got AJ Lawson one on one with a slower player in the lane trying to get to the line or get a bucket for the win. And I think you can live with that if you're Frank Martin. It's really unfortunate. Yes. It shouldn't have come down to that. Correct. That's the frustrating that's the, part. I think that's the frustrating part because you missed nine free throws, you missed 11 threes, and you win almost every other category on that. And that's the problem is because you. I mean, if you had told me. Friday before the game, that South Carolina would have twice as many paint points as Tennessee. I would have said South Carolina won by double digits. Sure. But they didn't, and that's that's the frustrating part because when you look at it, they had, I mean, we've talked about it, they shot, what, seven percentage points better than Tennessee? Um, they didn't make as many free threes, but Tennessee took 31. Uh Free throws, obviously, Tennessee won. They both had the same number of turnovers. Um, South Carolina, three more points off turnovers. Uh, five more total rebounds. Same amount of defensive rebounds. Five more offensive rebounds. Um, three less second-chance points. Uh, I think they had, if I'm looking correct, they had three times as many bench points as Tennessee, 28 to 8. 24 to 8. Uh, 28 to 14 in points, points in the paint. 7 to 3 fast-break points. Tennessee had 11 blocks. South Carolina had 8. 12 steals for South Carolina, 5 steals for Tennessee, and then one less assist. So we're really talking about you know, marginal stuff when Tennessee wins it. So South Carolina dominated a lot of these statistics and didn't win, and I think that's the frustrating part for fans, for players, for Frank Martin and that coaching staff, because you're seeing these flashes of being pretty good and playing well in stretches, but they didn't score have a field goal the last two minutes and 31 seconds. They had a big stretch in the second half where they just couldn't hit anything. And you lose games because of that, and that's what happened again Saturday. 41 minutes, 0 of 12 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3, two assists. Good, I don't have the turnovers right in front of me because my browser is condensed. 
But that's what South Carolina starting backcourt did against Tennessee. Now, A.J. Lawson, he's the starter. He is still the theoretical best player, the player with the most upside, NBA upside. He's certainly not playing like it. If Correct. he continues to do this for the rest of the season, he's coming back for a junior year. And I don't even know if Carolina fans will be happy to, be, right. to have him back at yeah, that point. Yeah, it'll be kind of tenuous at that point. But he's he's going to be in there. Yeah. He's going to work it out or he's not. Or he's not. That's, that's and, you live, and you live or die with the fact yeah, that... If, exactly. Yeah. This team lives and dies with how well A.J. Lawson plays. We can talk about how great Kotsar's been. We can talk about you know Hannibal off the bench, Kusnard off the bench, and you know the emergence that's Young Biggs and Levesque and McCreary. It doesn't matter yeah. if A.J. Lawson's not playing well. It's it's just as simple as that. So I'm going to leave that, and we're going to go to Bolden. 13 minutes this game. He's four of his last 22 in the last three games, I think. I think it was 0-4 against Detson, 4-14 against Florida, and 0-5 now against... Sounds about right. I mentioned starting lineup changes. He looked a little bit better when South Carolina moved him to a new role, like a little more off the ball, where he wasn't being relied upon to create as much. Does he need another change of scenery? Could he thrive a little bit more? You know, if his 13 minutes a game or 15 minutes a game or 18 minutes a game are maybe less pressure going up against, you know, maybe a backup point guard, a backup two guard coming off the bench, do we see his role and Kushnard's role reversed? Or... Is this a case where I remember when, when when Frank Booker was having that unbelievable season and he was doing it off the bench to start and then eventually he got shifted into the starting lineup? I was like, "Oh man, he's doing yeah. it so well coming off the bench. I don't want to mess with the mojo." Yeah. Or do you pull the trigger? I think you put Jermaine Kustard in the starting lineup. Um, that's me again, not being paid millions to coach this basketball team. I don't see him every day in practice, but you're not getting a lot from Jair Bolden personality-wise, and Frank Martin said that. Uh, you're just not getting the same fire you get from Jermaine Kusnard or from Jair Bolden that you get with Jermaine Kusnard. And I think a move to the bench would benefit. I think it would benefit both parties because you get that personality in there early with Jermaine. Um, you get Bolden kind of coming in um, after feeling the game out a little bit, which helped with Frank Booker, which helped with Hassani, which, I mean... You had Which is a lo- better for some guys. Yeah. Mono Ginobili is a Hall of Famer, and he came off the bench his entire career. Yeah, and Frank Jair Mar- Bolden's not Mono Ginobili, no. let me say that. No, but but And Frank Martin's had a lot of success with guys with six men. I mean, you look at Hassani, you look at Frank Booker, you look at Dwayne Notice, that um, it helps. So I think it would help. I think the offensive flow may be a little bit better with Kusnar running the point, Lawson at two, and then Benaya, Bryant, and Coates. Are. I have an actual true playmaker in there. Yeah, I mean, he's... I mean, Kusnard's leading the team in assists. He's 249th in the country right now in assist rate. Turnover rate's still a little high, but you live and die with that because the guy can already just, he's so natural at making plays Mm -hmm. that it helps. He needs to shoot better, but when he's your point guard, he's not shooting as much. He's trying to facilitate for others. And Uh, you just need something to grease the wheels at this point. Oh, absolutely. And and while we're talking about assists, real quick, I just need to mention this because they're there weren't a ton of positives from this game. Obviously, Mike Coates are another nice 17 and 8. And he continues to be a positive. We talked, I guess, about the, the positives of Kusnard and Hannibal. Bryant didn't have a great game. 4 of 12 shooting, uh, 8.6 rebounds. He got blocked. Was that Bowden that blocked him? Yeah. Fouled him, first um, of all. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing block. Like, that was just one of those plays that's like, that's the fun part of watching high-level college basketball or high-level whatever. Which is two you... athletes just going at it. Yeah, so that was awesome. And then obviously got revenge on a huge dunk. It wasn't on Bowden necessarily, but another huge dunk for Bryant. Yeah. But best part of Bryant's game, dropped two of the slickest dimes. He his He's... I never think about him as a playmaker. 
That's not his first option or his second option. His first option is to dunk on you. His second option is to dunk on you. His yeah. third option is to hit that little 15 foot pull up jumper. But then when he decides, and the fourth that, option is dunk on you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the, then the last option is okay. You know, maybe I look to pass this. When he does, I mean, he he's got such a natural feel for the game, and he just those are some slick passes that he threw. He has improved a lot since his freshman year. And Frank Martin's talked about it. He needs to play a little bit better, play him a little bit more efficiently. But you've seen the development in him. Uh, you've seen, he's and Frank Martin said it, but he's more of a basketball player now than an athlete who plays basketball. And he's dunking the ball well. He's not shooting the ball well as, as well as he needs to. But, I mean, he's 9 for 20 in his last two games. I think you take that. You know, he's nine for twenty with looking at points here, twenty-two points. Okay, like that's Keyshawn Bryant for you. Yeah, uh, he's averaging eight and a half points a game on the season, forty-three and a half percent from the field, ten percent from three. Yeah, but don't he's, take, he's probably he's, he's probably one shooter. of ten. Yeah, would be my guess on that. Yeah, um, without having the raw numbers right in front of me, just a little bit under three rebounds, one and a half assists, almost a block, almost a steal. Like that, that's kind of what you expect from him. Like if he's, you know. You obviously want more from AJ, and, and so there's like little bits missing here and there from others because AJ is still averaging 15 points. AJ probably needs to be averaging like 18 points. You're getting almost nine from Keyshawn. He probably needs to be averaging double digits, like 10, 12, 13, something yeah. like that. So it, it's little bits of margins for each of these guys. Uh, but but I think you know he looks fine. Obviously he looked good on the dunk that went in. He looked good on the dunk that got blocked. He's had plenty of other flashes since he's been back, and he just does like the gritty stuff. Like he had right. a, a few putbacks here and there, like. He just cleans the glass. I mean, he had five offensive rebounds. Yeah, he's an unbelievable rebounder for yeah. his position because of his athleticism. He's obviously got those long arms. He can jump out of the gym. Uh, I wonder, I think he's healthy, yeah. but it's still different. You know, he's only played seven games. I would have loved to have seen him without the six-week layoff. Right, because, again, we see the flashes of it, and I feel like we're making excuses for him now, but it's just his ability to do what he does consistently has still been lacking. He still had, like, the high upside moments, the stretches, you know, where he'll play great defense and then go get a dunk or, you know, knock down a jumper or whatever. Um, but his ability to do that consistently, I feel like, and, and we're getting to the point where he should have, he should be, and if he hasn't already, like totally worked himself back into shape in the field of the game. But just that he ebbs and flows a little bit from the games, I think has a lot to do with the layoff early in the season. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you go try, you know, being laid up for six weeks and on crutches and not able to do everything and then try to come back and play high-level basketball and play it well. Uh, against guys that are designed to knock your head off when you go into the paint. So you're starting to see the rust come off slowly but surely. Um, probably not as quick as Frank Martin would have liked, as Keyshawn would have liked, as his fan base would have liked. But, you know, he's being used. You're seeing his usage rate go up a little bit more. Um, it's been over 25% in four of the last five games, or four of the la or three of the last four games. So you're starting to see them trust him a little bit more. You're starting to see him trust himself a little bit more and he's got a green light if you see a play to be made go make a play um and i think as sec play goes on these next 16 games you're going to see a little bit more of that next opportunity is wednesday wednesday at 6 30 the colonial life arena south carolina is welcoming kentucky 12 and 3 Ooh. kentucky really good kentucky team not like all-time great Kentucky team. They don't have a boogie, John Wall. It's not Anthony scattered Davis. with lottery picks or anything like that. No, like I, you know, I was looking at, at some NBA draft stuff the other day, and it's like they have three guys 
It's like Tyrese Maxey, yes. Nick Richards, like, working himself in there. Ashton Hagens, you know, uh, yeah, but, like, not a lottery guy is Hagens. Um, You know, like, a late first round, early second round kind of guy so far. And, you know, of course, we have the whole rest of the season uh, to change that. What is interesting, and I always like to look at this, I don't think this necessarily means anything. I mean, it obviously doesn't mean anything because it's just a predictor, but ESPN's BPI. They gave Carolina only a 20% chance to beat Tennessee. They gave them a 30% chance to beat Kentucky. They're at 28 against, uh, in Ken Palm. So. That's so weird. I mean, yeah. I, it, it, on the one hand, you say they're playing at home versus playing on the road, but Carolina's played better on the road than they yeah. have at home this they're year. They're 3-1 on the road um, this Kentucky's year. significantly better than Tennessee, so I don't know where exactly that's coming from. I would have expected the line for this to be like 15 or something. Um, but again, it's, it's not like a world-beating Kentucky team, but they're very, very good. They're very efficient. They're very efficient. Yeah. That's weird. Carolina shouldn't have that much of a chance to win this game. I don't think they do. It's weird. I think people wrote Kentucky off early in the season after that loss to Evansville. And it's like, oh, this is just a bad Kentucky team. But you look at who they've beaten. I mean, you beat Michigan State to start the year. You beat Georgia Tech, who's not good, but top 100 team. You lose to Ohio State on a neutral floor by six. But then you beat Louisville, you beat Missouri, you beat Georgia, and you beat Alabama. Those and that are, Georgia game was that was an impressive win. Yeah, I mean to come back on the road against some talents like that, and I think that this is, in terms of talent, it's not that, but this is the most cohesive team I remember from Cal in a very long time. Just because, I mean, you look at your starting lineup: Ashton Higgins is a sophomore, Emmanuel Quigley sophomore, Tyrese Max is a freshman, but you got Nate Sestina, however you say it, he's a senior. Um, I believe a grad transfer. And then Nick Richards is a junior. When was the last time you remember having Kentucky having only one freshman in the starting lineup? 2007? Yeah. Yeah. So this is an experienced group compared to, obviously, teams in the past. But you, it's, it's veteran in the right ways. You have your point guard that's a sophomore. You have Nick Richards who's playing his way into a very, very good spot. Um, and then Quigley and Maxie are obviously – insanely talented Kentucky players to a T. So, um, yeah, this is just one of those teams that they're top 30 pretty much in offensive and defensive efficiency. They play pretty good defense for a Kentucky team. Uh, offensively is not great, but they, sh- they get to the free throw line. They shoot well from the free throw line. Uh, and then they force teams to miss from the field. And that, obviously plays into why they've only lost three games this year. Yeah, three games. Obviously, the Evansville game, which we mentioned earlier, which was that was the first big upset of the season in college basketball. Everyone was like, whoa. And then we realized we were going to get one of those every three days. How how little we knew. How little we knew at that point. It's been a weird season. Yeah, Yeah. so there's that game. Obviously, the Ohio State loss, which looks a little bit different now. Ohio State's, they've lost, what, three in a row now? Something like that. They've they've, they've, they've uh, kind of faltered. Yeah, they're 11 and 5 now and have lost four in a row. Four in a row, yeah. So that was, you know, a a good loss at the time and it's still a good loss. And then their other one was, what, Utah State, maybe? Utah. Utah, yeah. Probably on par with what. They're 10 and 5, I think. 10 and 5, probably on par with what Carolina is right now. Um, They're right around the same Ken Palm numbers wise. And I think that's what happens when you don't necessarily have the upside that we've seen of Kentucky teams past. And. Really what they're working with, that three-headed monster you mentioned quickly, Maxie and Hagens, like, yeah. that's where they make their bread and butter. Nick Richards is a really good player. Um, as we both mentioned, he's someone that's working himself into NBA consideration and having a really, really good season. Um, but I was looking at some some bell cows or bellwethers. 
what's the a bell cow's like a running back. I think a bellwether yeah, is bell the weather. right thing. There we go. Looking at some bellwethers for this Kentucky team. So they've won four of their last six games. In those four wins, Emmanuel quickly has scored at least sixteen in all of the wins, and has been sixteen of twenty nine from three point land. And in the two losses, just one of nine from three. Yeah. And obviously scoring uh, single digits. Um, so that's one of the things that you look at. Again, it's all about like that three-headed guard trio. But Kentucky is actually not a great three-point shooting team. They're, no, they're, they're actually pretty mediocre. Yeah, they're like in bad. the they're in the mid two hundreds. Maybe they're shooting about thirty-two percent. That's the one thing you look at because they are, as you mentioned, a, you know, a decent offensive team as a team. They're shooting like forty-six, forty-seven percent from the field. Uh, but that's going to be one area where South Carolina is going to have to be careful. Yes. Because I mean, it sounds stupid. It's like, oh, if a team makes a bunch of threes, they're probably going to win. But breaking. It's, it, yeah, <laughs> breaking news. But it seems this Kentucky team seems to have. Uh, maybe even a little more reliance on the three, at least in terms of their offensive productivity, than than a lot of other teams. So that's one area. You know, Carolina has played a little more zone lately, which has worked for them because their man hasn't been great. But when you do that, you know, you're leaving some of those corners open, uh, you know, some opportunities. And Tennessee had some opportunities when Carolina was in zone to knock down some of those shots, and they just didn't. Yep. Um, now Kentucky, again, as a team, not a great three-point shooting team, only about 32%. But if quickly or one of these guys gets hot, you know, all of a sudden that's when – they start to pile it on. That's when they start to run away. But by and large, at least the last couple of weeks, they haven't been running away from games. They've won, uh, what, their last three now? They've won, are they 3-0 in SEC or 2-0 in SEC? 3-0 in SEC play, but they've won their last four. Right. So, yeah, okay, that's right. So, But their three SEC wins were by 9-11-9 or 9-9-11. and 11. So they beat Missouri by 12, Georgia by 9, and then Alabama by, it looks like, 9. Yeah, my math's correct. So these are convincing wins, not blowouts, solid not runaways, yeah. solid wins. And again, when, when you don't have the upside, that's kind of when you're losing the Evansville games, and that's probably what's keeping you from, you know, winning these games that you're winning by nine, by you know, fifteen or by twenty. So from that perspective, it makes sense. You feel like yeah. Carolina's going to be in this game, and they've been in most games. You know, they weren't in the they weren't in the Wichita State game. They weren't in the Houston game. Was it the Wichita State game or the Northern Iowa game? Northern Iowa, they were in. They could have won that. Yeah, game. that's right. That's right. So the Wichita State game, the Houston game. Pretty much everything else they've been in until the last couple minutes. So you, yeah. I think, at least expect that to be the case. And then, how much does home court matter? It hasn't been good for Carolina this Apparently year. Apparently, a lot to Ken Palm. Yeah, yeah uh, like, which you know maybe that's all they're looking at. I don't know exactly yeah. where these metrics come from. And I'd be curious to see Carolina's on-off numbers. But I'm not going to say this is a winnable game. But it's a game that Carolina now kind of has to win. Yeah, they're in desperation mode because they need. This would be the first time if they lose. It would be the first time since Martin's second year here where they start 0-3 in SEC play, which is not something you want. Um, if my math's correct, I know I just spoke it into existence. But, uh, yeah, you need something to go right because you can't go to A&M. It's, you're in desperation mode now, but going to A&M, a very winnable game on the road, needing a win makes could make you play tight. It's on the road. You never know. And then A team that has not responded well to adversity anyway this year. Yeah, and then you come and play at Auburn. Like, that's... You need something good to happen Wednesday against Kentucky. So desperation mode, you and I teased this out a little bit earlier. It seems pretty likely that we'll see Kuznard play in the starting lineup or at least play. I mean, he's already playing. He played 11 more minutes than Bolden yeah. against Tennessee. I think he needs to be in the starting lineup. I think he needs to get more minutes. I wonder if Frank continues to trust Moss, and Moss still played more minutes than Hannibal and continues to be uh, a low-impact player. This is a game where you kind of have to pull out all the stops, and obviously Frank pulling out all the stops is going to look different than like my theoretical version of yeah. Carolina pulling out all the stops. But you put Kuznard in there. You hope that Bolden is rejuvenated coming off the bench. 
you let Hannibal play some defense, and you just kind of have to hope that Lawson decides that this is when he wants to go get off back for to being AJ Lawson. Or six, uh, yeah. is this game on ESPN? SEC Network. SEC Network. Okay, so I was hoping if it were like a big ABC game. Yeah, it is like all right, all right, feel yeah. me now. Yeah. Um, but I guess not because it's just regular SEC Network. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't feel good about this, which is awful because that's me saying that Carolina's basketball season is going to be uh, dead on yeah. January fifteenth. They'll be eight and eight after sixteen games and zero and three in the SEC. Is that is that what's going to happen if they lose? Yeah, but is that going to? That's what I'm saying. You can't. You can't pick Carolina to win this game, right? No. You looking at the numbers? It's hard to pick South Carolina to win this basketball game. Um, what's it going to take? It's going to take you playing the same level of defense you played against Tennessee. Uh, it's going to lo- look a lot like what that Virginia game looked like. You come out and hit six threes, seven threes, um, which teams are not really doing. I mean, Kentucky's effective field goal percentage against is really good. Uh, teams are only shooting 29% from three against them, which is better than what South Carolina is shooting it from yeah, three this year. Progression to the yeah, there for South yeah. Carolina. Um, but teams aren't shooting well against Kentucky, so you have to go in there and you have to shoot the ball well. You have to get some points. And you have to get – they're not great. I mean, they're good offensively. They're a top 30 to 32nd in offensive efficiency. But they don't shoot the three all that well. They shoot a lot of them, so it's kind of by volume. Um, but they shoot almost 52% from two, which is pretty dang good. And then they're top 15 in free throw shooting. So if you go out there and you – don't foul. Limit their trips to the line. Kind of pack the paint. Say, no, no, no. If you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us hitting threes. Then you feel good about where you are defensively, and then you just have to go out there and score. And playing Kustron at the point really helps with that. Um, you're going to need to hit some shots. It's not going to be one of those, you know, Coates are hits 12, 15-footers, and you win because of that. So you're going to need – Kusnard and Lawson and Bolden and Manaya to be hitting if they each hit one or two threes each you f- feel like this offense is, is going to be clicking and um, Kentucky doesn't really force a lot of turnovers they usually kind of just let their defense do its thing and force misses it doesn't um, mean Carolina won't give them some yeah they're really good at that Carolina has not been great these last few I think they're averaging 15.7 over their last three games turnovers mm-hmm. which whoo not um, good when you mix it with bad half court. Like I, I imagine national average is probably like twelve, something like that yeah. for turnovers a game. Sounds about right. So it's so it is high for Carolina, and it's just if you're high and you're like a really high tempo team and you're a really electric scoring offense. If you're you know if you're running Showtime, it's yeah. okay if you have all those. But Carolina doesn't have really that luxury. They're not scoring enough points anyway. No. Can Carolina hold Kentucky to fewer than seventy? Sure. Yeah. Why not? Okay. If you slow the pace down, I don't think Carolina can score seventy. Tomorrow. No. No, so that's so. going to have to be the formula. And yeah. we, we, we're going to, we've said this, I think every game prediction we've done, and we're probably going to for the rest of the season, you need to win at like 67 to 64. Yeah. No, you, you bring them, I hate saying bring them down to your level, but you make them play your style where it's, you slow their offense down, make them take up, eat up a lot of time on the shot clock. And then you run fast and you make sure they can't get set on defense. And if you do that, then you feel good about your chances. But if Kentucky's making shots, it's going to be hard to do. We talked about Tennessee and I guess Rick Barnes specifically having South Carolina's number, and I think there's something to that. I th- there's there seems to be more to that in basketball than just about any other sport, other than maybe baseball with when you're looking like a specific pitching matchup or something like yeah. that. But it seems to matter a lot in basketball. 
Kentucky obviously wins the majority of the games they play against South Carolina. But Carolina's had some high-profile upsets of Kentucky. Does that matter? In not, this game? No, not in this game. Okay. Um, if this was 10 years ago. That Devin Downing game was 10 years ago, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> We're old now. Yeah. Uh, so. Jeez. Yeah, I know, right? I was looking at it. I was like, that was 10 years ago. Um, no, it doesn't matter. Um, this is two completely different teams. Uh, weirdly enough, we talk about Rick. They've Him and Frank obviously go back a ways playing in the Big 12 together. Chuck Martin was actually on staff with Cal at Memphis. Hmm. So they actually pretty, they know each other pretty well in that regard, too. So, Basketball so interesting. incestuous. In- interesting. Yeah, it's... Um, and incestuous. It's, yeah. all, it's all the same coaches. Yes. And, and it, everyone knows everybody. And, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, one thing that surprised me in the Tennessee game that, uh, you know, better not continue for South Carolina, obviously, is they endeavor to shoot a little bit better. Tennessee was just blocking South Carolina all yeah. over the place. So they finished with 11 or 12 blocks? 11. 11 blocks. Unbelievable. Um, and Kentucky, I think, is probably middle of the road. They They're, like, fewer than five blocks a game. But Tennessee's numbers weren't great anyway. Yeah, their block percentage is actually pretty good. 13 Kentucky and a half. Was, yeah, okay. 32nd in the nation. So, okay, wow. I guess they're just not allowing that many shot attempts then because it's still like yeah. just under just under five blocks a game. Was that an outlier for Carolina? Or did you see something that they were doing offensively that, that allowed Tennessee to get all those opportunities to block shots? I think they were just driving kind of – out of control is not the right word, but they were kind of driving in a way where they would dip and, I mean – you had Bowden and Fulkerson and guys that can, you know, get up there near the rim. And um, when you kind of go up late, and lazy is not the right word, but when you go up a little bit softer than normal when you're not trying to throw down a dunk, then you kind of open yourself up to getting blocked. And that's kind of what happened when you're playing against those kinds of athletes. Yeah. Whew. Yikes. And Kentucky's yeah. obviously got some of those, you know, Nick Richards. Yeah, a few athletes uh, on that Kentucky yeah. team. I mean, Ashton Hagen's one of the best per- perimeter defenders in the country. I imagine he's going to be stuck on A.J. Lawson for yeah, you would. whenever Lawson's in there, which is going to open everything up for whoever else is, uh, whoever else is, you know, maybe this is a big Keyshawn Bryant game. It's going to need to be somebody because if you're Carolina, at this point you kind of have to proceed assuming that A.J. Lawson's going to get you between 8 and 12, not between yeah. 18 and 22. Yeah. So – the Keyshawn Bryant game, the Kusnard game, you know. Justin Manaya. Justin Manaya, yeah. I mean, he's he's overdue an offensive explosion. He, gosh, he had such a frustrating game against Kentucky. There were, I think, three sequences where he did something absolutely boneheaded and stupid and then immediately followed it up with a, with a really good play. There was, right at the end of the half, he yeah. had the ball, decided he was going to, they had the last shot. They had 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Or on or the, the clock. Yeah, the yeah, shot the clock, clock was, was off. off. The shot clock was off. He decides to drive in. It's a charge. Obviously, cost Carolina the last possession, cost himself a foul. It's a turnover. It's like every single thing bad. And if he were a freshman, Frank Martin might have actually gone like God of War and ripped his head off, yeah. or like ripped his eyeballs out. Um, but it's Justin Manias, so I guess he took it a little bit easier on him. Um, but then right on the other side, you know, he Tennessee gets flash and comes up with a huge block. He did it again uh, later in the second half. He pulls down a defensive rebound, tries to pass it ahead to, you know, Lawson or Kusnard or somebody trailing out and tries to throw it over a Tennessee defender. Tennessee defender jumps up and just snags the ball. And you're like, okay, you just got a good rebound. And then you immediately turn it over. And then he blocks it And again. then he gets posted up and blocked. Yeah. yeah. It's, he held in like 10 defensive rebounds. I mean, it was – He had a good defensive game. He had a game. weird game. It was but probably he, his best defensive game of the year. But he kept putting himself in, in like and, bad positions. Yeah, I mean – And it's sort of like intentionally missing a shot just so he can get the rebound. It's like, do we really give him credit for those blocks when all the turnovers that led to him yeah. blocking those shots were his fault? I'm trying to look. He had – 
three blocks, two steals, ten defensive rebounds, three turnovers, and went over four from the field. That sounds about right. With four fouls. So again, he's not someone that you necessarily are going to count on, but if he can give you ten, yeah, no, that's all you need. Just hit a couple of threes. Just six and eight every night from him is what you need, and he's giving that in spurts. He'll hit, he'll score six points, and then give you two rebounds, or he'll give you ten rebounds like he did and go over four from the field. So it's just one of those weird. Because he's got talent. Yeah. He's a really good player, but... It's just consistency all across the board. Yeah, I think if that's if there's one word to describe this team right now, it's inconsistent. The only person that's been consistent this year is Mike Kotsar. And he's so now... Weird. I mean, he was averaging like nine and a half and six, I think, headed into SEC play. And he's up to what? Like probably 12 and seven or 12 and seven Something and a like, half. Yeah, now. I mean, it's... Let's see. Michael Kotsar. I don't know if Michael's is that. Uh, he's averaging 10... 10.7 points and 6.3 rebounds. Okay, so it hasn't gone up that much. But 18 and 10 against Florida and 17 and 8 against Tennessee. He's yeah, a rock. Yeah. I also, yeah, I don't think it's Michael because it's M-A-I-K. Unless it's like that M-A-I- would be kind of cool though, right? M-A-I-K-A-L or something? Yeah, no, I like it though. M-A-I-K-Y-L. You need it sounds so like, yeah, it sounds so like formal too. Yeah, Michael, like, Michael Cozart. When's the next time you're going to get to talk to him? Hopefully after the Kentucky game, we go for like 20 and 10. Okay. And so they've already done their media availability for this week? Yeah, we got okay. TJ Moss and... Who else did we talk to? Justin Minaya mm. this week. Did you ask TJ Moss why he doesn't shoot? I did not ask TJ mm. Moss. I, I shouldn't. You shouldn't ask that because you don't want him to shoot more because he's a bad shooter. It would he's be interesting. Fourteen to fifty, or yeah, fourteen to fifty-three from the field for the season. But it's amazing. He's just he's allergic to field goal attempts. And, and he had a bad, bad turnover against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I hate piling on kids because they're nineteen years old. But there was, I mean, he he went into the game in the second half, and the crowd was into it, and he just threw the ball out of bounds to Wilden's back. Yeah, like, and Wilden's is standing there, like, <sighs> come on, like it was just that was part of that gunky like seven minute stretch where they couldn't get anything to go right. And it's not piling on. I feel bad for him. He doesn't need to be out there. He's just not, you know, he's not playing well enough to be playing fifteen minutes a game in SEC play. No, and, just, and he just turns the ball over a little bit too much, and yeesh. I think he's he's averaging two turnovers a game. Nah, he's or probably no, averaging 1.3 turnovers against okay, Yeah, and he's probably averaging like one and a half or two assists and so you can 1.8 assists. Yeah, yeah, so you can look at that and be like, "Oh, well actually, but it's like just watch the game. It's just Yeah, but he he's just shooting much of an impact. he's shooting 26.4% from the yeah. field, 30% from two. Not great. He's got I think he has 38 points this year. And I think Trey Hannibal has played half as many minutes and also has 38 points. 38 points, yes. Yeah. Yikes. All right, yeah. South Carolina's playing Tennessee. Tomorrow, six thirty, Colonial Kentucky, Arena, playing Kentucky. What did I say? Tennessee. We've been talking about Tennessee so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're not playing Tennessee again. That's not until uh, February. Yeah, February. Yeah, ten- Tennessee, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Texas A and M, and Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, those are the two. Yeah. That's good. That's exactly what we've you talked need. about. That Mississippi yeah. State, Vanderbilt, Texas A and M. That's what you want. Yep. Um, Georgia still scares you a little bit, although with talent. Did that Georgia Auburn game tell you more about Auburn or Georgia? I don't know more about Auburn. Oh, Auburn's good. They're oh, by 20 points oh, and a half. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, Auburn's good. Carolina's going to get to see that up close in person very soon. Uh, but first is going to be Kentucky. Again, you and I cannot in good faith predict a win. A lot of things. This is kind of like the – well, I don't want to say it's kind of like the Florida game because Kentucky's better than Florida, but it is like the Florida game in that if all of Carolina's pieces play as well as possible, if A.J. Lawson plays like A.J. Lawson of old, if Keyshawn Bryant has a couple big dunks, blocks, good rebounds, Mania hits a couple threes – they can be in this thing, but it needs to be that. And you probably need some help from the crowd. Yes. You know, buy some beers. Yes. Be loud. You can do that. Heckle Doug Shows, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, we don't make predictions on this show. Our reverse jinxes have been bad. Do you still want to keep doing that? We can, we can let's try it one more time. Let's try it. Let's give one more. 
Okay. Go around. See. All right. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna reverse jinx the same person. After you, sir. No, that's it. Three, two, one. Three. Just, oh. 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 That was bad. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, I was gonna just. Yeah, Justin and I. Yeah. I didn't know we were gonna count down there. Give, that was give Justin and I a twelve and eight. My yeah. coach is gonna give you fourteen and six. AJ Lawson gives you eighteen. Four assists. He plays his first game this season without turnovers. I don't know that to be the case. He may have had a turnover-free game this year. I just can't imagine based on the way that he plays. (laughs) It does not feel like it at this point. Hey, do you have uh, really quick access to um, those lineup numbers you were looking at for other teams, or do you just have them for Carolina? I'm for other teams. Okay, I I wrote this down because I was curious. I've watched a little bit of Kentucky this year, but don't know how many minutes they play with Maxie, Hagens, and Quickly on the floor together, those three guards. So it looks like, I mean, whew, a lot. Their top okay. three, li- yeah, so. their top three lineups have them at the guard spots. I thought so. Uh, one's eighteen point seven, one's sixteen point seven percent, and one's eleven point four percent. Okay, so, yeah. so it's, it's going to be a lot of those. So this yeah, is you're gonna, seeing a lot of that. This is going to be uh, this is going to be a lot of Manaya. It's not going to be a lot of McCreary or a lot of Levesque, I would guess, because I think Carolina's yeah. going to have to play a lot of four out just to match up yeah. with all those guards. Now, if they get in some foul trouble early, that certainly benefits South Carolina. Right now, the I guess the flip side of that is, could Carolina go big to try to combat that? And I would say you could, you could. Yeah, I mean, honestly, as because mobile as Coatsar is on the perimeter, you can. Yeah let him guard those fours and then just kind of play everybody down. And then whatever other traditional big, obviously you're, you're playing center as opposed to having coats are at center. Um, that just does scare you with a team that, that shoots as many threes as Kentucky does. And Kentucky's very drive and kick. So if you can pack the paint and force some turnovers down low to where they can't really kick, then that's good for you. But tall task. Yeah. Tall task. Easier said than done. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of a shame because, you feel pretty good about Carolina's big rotation now. Yeah. If you're including Justin Manaya, because obviously he plays most of his minutes at the yeah. four, um, you know, Manaya defensively, Coates are defensively. Levesque, I think, is having a solid freshman season. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, spectacular or anything, but a, about as well as you could have reasonably expected. And then, like we said earlier, McCreary, after not playing since the Houston game, played well against Florida and played well again in some 11 minutes against Tennessee. I just like his energy, you know? Yeah, he, he doesn't give you, I mean, he's one of those kind of weird, still doesn't know what he's doing half the damn time mm-hmm. out there, but. Yeah, I mean, he plays well, gives you some energy off of it, and you yeah, know, you get some production from him. Rebounds, block shots, it's um, yeah, it's all right. So yeah, I'll, I'll be very curious to see what the strategy is. This is a, a kitchen sink game for sure. Six thirty tip tomorrow on the SEC Network. You can also listen uh, airtime on one zero seven five. The game six o'clock if you want to listen to South Carolina and Kentucky. Colin and I will be back on Thursday to discuss whatever happens in this Kentucky game and what South Carolina will be facing this weekend. They're going to College Station, right? Yeah. Okay, and then Auburn next Wednesday. Yeah, at Auburn. Yeah, so or who knows? Maybe we won't be back because the college basketball season for South Carolina will end tomorrow night at like approximately 9 o'clock, but uh, no, that's not not true. Either way, we'll be back. We're casting our reverse jinx for this game on Justin Minaya. Hopefully uh, that goes a little bit better than our reverse jinxes have been going and Jerry Bolden's shooting has been going. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. I think it was a bigger surprise when Carolina – even though they had Devin Downey upset Kentucky 10 years ago this season. Feel old. Feel old. All right. For Colin, I'm Pearson. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to all the great stuff on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network and other Carolina podcasts with Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, and myself. Back tomorrow, a lot of staff changes for South Carolina in the last week, plus the College Football National Championships. If you don't want to miss that, be sure to subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Thank you all again so much for listening. We will talk to you on Thursday.